Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On its face, it's really quite simply a book about exploring or understanding what goes on outside at night when we're not there sometimes. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's guest is award-winning author-illustrator Karen Berger. She's here to discuss her stunning new picture book, In the Night Garden, a Junior Library Guild Gold Standard Selection. Karen is the award-winning author and illustrator of almost a dozen picture books for children, including The Little Yellow Leaf, a New York Times Best Illustrated book, All of Us, and Finding Spring. She's also the illustrator of Behold the Bold Umbrellaphant by Jack Prolutsky and Are We Pairs Yet by Miranda Paul. She and her family divide their time between New York City and their home in the Hudson Valley. Karen spends all of her spare time tending her garden. Before I share this conversation, Here's the synopsis for In the Night Garden. A gentle collage illustrated bedtime read about the often mysterious and always beautiful experiences to be found in nighttime spaces. In the Night Garden, fireflies look like fallen stars. Moonflowers unfurl and release their intoxicating perfume. In the night garden, you can lie on the cool grass and look up to the millions and trillions of stars. In the night garden, nothing is as it seems and everything is made new. Blinking stars and pale moonlight might reveal a lone cat tiptoeing across a roof Luminous flowers unfurling in the cool air, a mama fox escorting her sleepy cubs home. Listen closely and you might hear the wind blowing through the trees, the murmur of a slow stream, or the gentle song of crickets and bullfrogs lulling you to sleep. With soothing words and spectacularly detailed hand-cut collage artwork, Karen has fashioned a bedtime book like no other. Curious readers will be rewarded when they look for the mysterious cat that appears on every page. Having you on the show today is such a full circle moment for me because back in 2009, we recorded an in-person interview in beautiful Point Reyes, California. 
because I had this lofty dream of starting a podcast. So I quickly listened to that recording yesterday and the sound of the birds in the background is insane. I totally remember that. Yes. <laughs> well, it was amazing, but it was almost really hard to, to even hear us talk. So I am just really thrilled that I think it's like 12 years later that I finally had this podcast come to fruition and to have you in an opportunity to really be able to hear you talk. So thanks for being here. Oh, it's so delightful. Yeah, we've known each other a long time. It was nice that it launched in person and then it's been such a nice connection. I want to start with a question that is a common one that I ask, and it's to be a writer. Some people say that you need to be a reader first. So I would like to know, was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? You know, since tinyhood, I've always loved books. I've loved them as objects. I've loved them as, you know, just the form of a book. And the even as a really little kid, we'd go to the library once a week and get hot. We'd each were allowed to, I don't know, get, you know, a little pile of books. And so I've, I've always been a reader. I don't think I've always actively thought of, I, don't, I may not even still think of myself as a writer. Like, I don't think I would introduce myself as a writer. And that's just because even though I've always written, that's not my training. My training is in design and, and in art. So yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favorite childhood memories with books or a specific book? A couple of things. My uncle, I have this uncle that I, I really love who as a kid, I mean, I was really little, he used to send me books from, he'd travel and he'd send me books like from different places in the world. And I still have those, like they're still some of my favorite, you know, little treasured objects that I've kept. I remember as a kid, just that magic of feeling like something traveled from far away to me and, and seemed exotic and new and other. Since it has been a while, since we had our last in-depth conversation. We've had a lot of little emails here and there, but it's been a long time since we talked about creating books and how you create books. So I want to know what has kept you motivated and what guides you in creating books for children right now. To be honest, each book becomes its own discrete problem. When I when I finish a book, I I almost can't imagine starting another one. And when I go to start a book, I can often not remember how to do it because it's such a, a crazy long process that I I almost feel like I'm starting new each time and don't necessarily have a, I don't know. I, it's almost like each book is its own individual design problem or conceptual problem or psychological knot that I'm trying to untangle. And I think that there is a running idea that still feels important to me. And that is, I think if you dig down, most of my books somehow touch on community and connection and friendship. That's just a thing that I feel like is buzzing around in my head as an important thing, particularly right now with these challenging and divisive times. So I think that might be the arc that carries through a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And another theme that I notice is just the natural world that almost always takes place in your artwork and your books. So where did your love for the natural world stem from? Well, you know, my mom was uh, an elementary school art teacher. 
and also a very outdoorsy person. So we spent a lot of time camping and being outside. And I think I find it a very centering sort of, it kind of puts everything back into perspective, you know, that we're not the center, that there's all this other stuff going on in the world. So like I forage for mushrooms and I garden and I, and I find those things kind of connecting and, and, and sort of important in terms of grounding myself. So what's something that you like to do when you need to clear your head and focus on creating a book? I have to imagine you like to get outside. Yes, I walk. I I tend to walk every day. Sometimes I walk alone. Sometimes I walk with friends. And when we're upstate in our house, we, we have a little house upstate that we'll talk about, but I garden. Like, I mean, I becomes a very Zen kind of like meditative thing where I realize like I'm working ideas out. I think I'm procrastinating and perhaps I am, but I also find it's a time to clear my head and think th- things through. And, and that's a very productive, creative time. Your latest book, In the Night Garden, explores mm-hmm. the natural world during that time. Mm-hmm. So will you talk us through what readers can expect? Sure. On its face, it's really quite simply a book about exploring or understanding what goes on outside at night when we're not there sometimes. And so there's a there's a black cat that kind of escorts you through the garden at night and there's different sounds and it's it's sort of um sensory in all kinds of different ways, looking and hearing and and um touching and and then I am hoping that on a deeper level, well, so my daughter was a little bit afraid at night and not so good at falling asleep. And so we, particularly in new places, so when we got our house, we would lie out, the sounds were different than the city sounds. And we would lie out on the porch at night and kind of look at the stars and identify the sounds. And um, so the book on a deeper level, I'm hoping, touches on being open and curious and unafraid about things we don't know or people that we don't know, or cultures, or, or or the unknown. And so that's hidden, you know, maybe most people won't go there, but I'm hoping that some people will use that as an opportunity for conversation about, about that. Well, I know that you have a great love for gardening, and you just talked about <laughs> that you enjoy yeah. foraging for mushrooms. So I have to imagine that the gardening part was a massive part of the inspiration for this book. And is that a fair assumption? Yeah, gardening and also just where we live, we're surrounded by 11 acres. Well, we have 11 acres and then we're surrounded by an Audubon bird preserve that's a thousand acres. So there's a lot of woods. There's a lot of like, like a lot of the things in the book came from little tiny experiences I've had, like seeing fox cubs playing in the stream or having a hoot owl up in our apple tree looking down at me while I was gardening. So yes, it's, it's, it's sort of all... Books tend to be pretty personal, really, when you pare it down. Let's talk about the cat, because it's a lot about the garden and the night and the curiosities that we see when we're outside. And it's not necessarily through the eyes of the cat, but it kind of also is. So talk to me about the cat, the inspiration for this specific cat, and what you think the cat feels as it goes through the book. Well... The cat is really a tribute to my daughter's cat, Cosette, from, uh, oh, golly. Um, Les Mis. 
Les Mis, sorry. But Taya was obsessed with Les Mis. So yes, Cosette was a rescue cat that Taya got as a sort of little support animal when she started college. I've never had a cat. We've had, I have a bunny. She had a bunny growing up. My husband's allergic to cats, but her cat used to come home in the summer and live with us and the bunny. And um, they're fascinating because they have very, well, at least her cat has this very strong clarity that I find interesting. So the cat in the book is a tribute to Cozy, but it's also perhaps like a kind, all-seen voice. You know, she's the narrator in the story, even though she's not sort of the loud narrator. I, I think of it as her voice and her shepherding you through the garden and saying, well, you know, look at this. And I mean, they're nocturnal. And so that's kind of, I guess that's what I have to say about the cat. Yeah, I love that you described her as not a loud narrator because people who are maybe trying to get a book published and they get the feedback that, well, this is too quiet for a picture book. And I love that I actually think the cat is a quiet narrator. And that is what brings some of the beauty to your book because sometimes if you're out in nature, if you are being loud and busy, you're not going to catch what nature is trying to show you. And so having this quiet cat gracefully move through the night, you know, obviously a picture book, the only sounds you're going to hear are the sounds in your head or the sounds of the grown up reading it to you. And I think because she is a quiet narrator, we get to actually take in and, and have the sensory experience of what your artwork is showing us and what your words are telling us. So I love that oh, you I said that. that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's your guide. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you create your artwork with cut paper to make collages, and each piece is handmade with found ephemera. Will you share your process with us, including how you find the just right scraps of paper <laughs> and materials, um, and how long does each piece take you? Okay. I wish uh, everyone could see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm cringing because it is the least efficient process one could ever invent. You know, my background is in graphic. My training is in graphic design. I've I've designed exhibitions and identities and brochures and annual reports and books and you know that's my background and and I was like the last batch of students to learn to do stuff by hand. Like I was just on the cusp of the computer being introduced. And so as everything moved more and more digital, I started really missing working with my hands. So I guess I would preface it with that. And so my artwork is almost a response to that, but it's definitely a really slow process. Um, I draw very intricate dummies and then I make 
vellums, which are translucent paper, which are very tight drawings, like they're a map. And then I cut stencils out. I'm sort of mortified to describe this. So I cut stencils out of vellum and then I place it over my collection of paper. So if I know I want to have like a, a black cat, but I want sort of highlights along her edge, I'm looking through this hole to find that perfect place. And then I cut her out and I may cut like five cats before I'm like, this is, this is the cat for that page. So sitting on my desk might be all these tiny little crazy pieces of, of rejects. And then I just use really, it's all really rudimentary materials. It's like from, it's old ephemera. So I collect stuff and I love that they come with these stories built in. So some of them are really old from the 1800s and they're ledger books from an old grocery store. Some of them are letters. And I, again, I just love the poignancy of them having this kind of mystery of where they came from. And then some of them are are J. Crew catalogs, which unfortunately J. Crew has stopped making them, or magazines, or something that I find on the street that just has a good number on it. You know, I I I'm a bit of a, you know, I'm not a I'm not a hoarder, but I'm a bit of a collector of things, an archivist. So yeah, I don't know if that answers. And then I just use scissors and an exacto knife and white glue, like we all have in our house, perhaps. And it's very rudimentary in that way. Just because of the way you make your collages, I think it can bring parents or any caregiver that's reading your book with their kid just an opportunity to keep coming back to it because it's really fun to look at the tiny little scraps that have made something larger. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm always like looking, I'm like, Karen must have hidden a secret message in here. Like, why did she pick this specific piece of paper? What does this number mean? And why these little words on this little leaf? I mean, I don't know. Do you want to give away any secrets that we could look for in, in the night guide? Sure. Um, they're often quite intentional. I, well, one one thing that's always in every single one of my books is Taya, my daughter's name, T-H-E-A. There was an artist, Al Hirschfeld, when I was little, and his, he had a daughter named Nina, and he did these wonderful ink, calligraphic ink drawings, and there would be a number down by his signature, like three or six. And that was how many Ninas were hidden in the calligraphic lines of his drawing. As a kid, I I don't know. I just loved that. So Taya's name is somewhere in each and every one of my books. And there's often teas or, you know, things like that. And then sometimes there's just something that I like, like California or where we met or, um, you know, something that resonates, a word that kind of resonates. I mean, sometimes it's random or sometimes it has to do with where the paper came from, which has meaning to me, but nothing to offer you. But, you know, like there's reasons why I'm choosing what I'm choosing. It's like you just know when you're looking at a page that there's there's more meaning to it than than meets the eye, you know? Oh, I love that. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some specific spreads. Do you have any favorites? It's kind of like asking if you have a favorite child. <laughs> I mean, each spread kind of has its own resonance for me. So I don't think I have a favorite spread per se. I think there is one of the house and that's our house. So that's kind of nice to have. And that's your house in the Hudson Valley, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an old like 1860s, very small little farmhouse. 
So I definitely need to spend some more time pouring over the pages, but I just think I love the way the silhouette of the black cat is just so subtle on your choice of the blue backgrounds. I don't know. I just love looking for the cat and looking at the cat. And I don't know. She's just kind of slinky and curious and gentle. And I, yeah, I just think I love looking at the cat. But when I was little, there was a book about nighttime and it was blue and black. It was a more vivid blue than maybe I used, but like most of the book was blue and black. And then you would open the page and it would show you uh, the daytime version that was all these colors. But there's something about that blue and black, like the almost, I don't know. I, I do like that. Yeah. What do you use for the backgrounds on your app? Well, nobody's gonna, this won't resonate with anybody probably, but it used to be when you would make in graphic design, when you would make your mock-up, of your design, there were these papers called Pantone papers, and they're very matte. And there's there's like thousands of colors. They were you were picking a specific color. So they, of course, with computers have gone out of business in that way. But uh, there was an art store closing out and selling all their remnants, and I bought them all. So I use that a lot. But now I have a fairly limited color palette left of all the yucky colors we don't necessarily want to use. But I use those. And then now I've been using, I just look for a very flat, I don't want a texture usually on the surface. I want, I do add paint and texture to the surface, but I don't want a bumpy surface. So I there's Japanese papers I sometimes get or... Um, and then when you have your artwork all finished, I imagine that editors and book designers nowadays with all the digital work coming in, that's probably pretty quick. I mean, we need all sorts of artwork, so I'm not discounting digital work here. But to have your artwork where we know somebody has painstakingly cut out and put it together, how do you get that to your editor and to the art designer? And, you know, how does that all work? Because of my design background, I'm used to the printing process. So I, I'm very involved in that end of things. It's kind of crazy these days because it gets shipped. So I bring the actual artwork in all tenderly packaged up and we go through it and we make notes. The publisher sends it to China and then they scan it and this is maybe too technical, they they have to do it flat because the art's very delicate. So they can't wrap it around a drum or something. They have to scan it as a flat thing. And then they send back the proofs to correct the color. And we go back and forth. So the art travels to and from China like four or five times, which is kind of insane, right? And then for this book and most of my books, it was important to me to print on uncoated paper. So not shiny paper, but you'll feel the paper is uncoated. I like that because it's a very classical feel, like that's what picture books usually used to be. And I like the touch in the hand, but it's difficult to print subtle colors like the blue and the black we were discussing and get all those delicate tonal details right on an uncoated paper because it's like a sponge. It absorbs your ink and pulls it away from the surface. So I had to kind of talk the publisher into doing that. And we got our first round of proofs on both coded and uncoded. 
And of course, it looked much better on the coated paper at first pass. So it was a bit of a process going back and forth and checking it against the art and pushing the printer to get things the way we needed them to be. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, all that hard work. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) well-traveled and all that hard work has definitely paid off. So you already touched on this, but just in a nutshell, what impact do you hope that In the Night Garden has on readers? Yeah, well, so I'm glad that you're asking it again, because I think on the face, it's a good night book, right? It's sort of a nighttime night story. Um, So I guess I just really do hope that uh, the message of facing the unknown isn't so buried that it doesn't get noticed. I I hope that 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 comes through somehow. And are you working on anything else? I am. um, Do you know who Rachel Vale is? She's an author. She does a lot of YA books, but also some picture books. And she lives four floors up from me just coincidentally. So she's my walking partner and we, she has a pet tortoise and I have a pet rabbit. So for the last 10 years, we've been joking that we should do a book about tort and hair. And so we're working on an early reader series about friendship and about tort and hair. If listeners were to take away one thing today from our discussion, what would you want that to be? I guess just to look deeply when you're out in the world and and looking at books. And yeah, I find that to be a very meaningful part of my life. I love that. And just the way you said that so simply too, (laughs) it's beautiful. Well, Karen, it's been so lovely to chat with you voice to voice once again. And and almost face to face. (laughs) (laughs) So In the Night Garden is so stunning. And I know that it will encourage those who read it to be open and curious about being outside and enjoying it outdoors during the night too. So thank you so much for just coming and sharing your process and your heart with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I am such a fan of yours and your work. And so it's thank you. You're making me blush. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me blush. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Karen Berger's In the Night Garden. Karen invites you to visit her at karenberger.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like in the Night Garden, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.